pop across and have a look at the Cyber Smart Week info there that, that CERT has online. Maybe share that with a family member or someone you think that uh, that, that can help. Have a conversation today. Uh, you know, this is an area we should be we should be discussing. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. This week, I am in the lovely Queenstown, and joining me today is Jason Hosking. Welcome along, Jason. Good to catch up again. It's been a while since you've been on the show. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me back. It's an absolute pleasure. Now... You are an incredible photographer, you're a big technology user. How would you describe your your relationship with technology before we kick in? Just uh, to give listeners a bit of a a bit of a viewpoint. You're certainly somebody that I guess over the years has taught me a lot about technology. You're very good at just sort of discovering uh, new technologies. You're an early adopter of all sorts of things, from drones to GoPros to um, varying Apple products, but uh, how would you describe your relationship with technology? <laughs> a consumer. There we go. All right, so you're going to give us a bit of a consumer uh, viewpoint today, which is, is great. I always always appreciate hearing your opinions. Well, let's jump in. Um, this week, we, we've got a lot to, um, to cover off, as always, but a bit more of a sort of New Zealand-leaning direction because it's Cyber Smart uh, Week here in New Zealand. Uh, but first up, a thank you to our show partners, Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Uh, we appreciate them for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and the broader New Zealand tech and innovation ecosystems. So Cyber Smart Week. Jason, have you, uh, have you seen anything in the media at all about Cyber Smart Week? Is it something that's come across your your radar? Because these things happen, there's always this week, that week, it's something or other month. Uh, but have you noticed anything about Cyber Smart Week yet? That's a very good question. No, I, I've not seen anything in relation to that at all. Okay, okay. Well, let's, let's jump in. Here in New Zealand, uh, Cyber Smart Week is an initiative of of CERT, and we have these these entities called CERT around the world. The name I don't think means sort of much to anyone, but it's the name that gets used in uh, I think the UK, US, uh, Australia, and New Zealand, or, or somewhat similar names. Uh, originally. Um, stood for Computer Emergency Response Team, but basically the, the government entity that, that's there uh, to connect the general public with information um, and maybe some help from a, a, a general cybersecurity perspective. And for what it's worth, that's, uh, that's what they're called. But um, the role that they sort of fulfil here in, in New Zealand, uh, you know, I think is a helpful one, but... It is a journey that's not as though they've been around for you know decades and everyone's familiar with them and they're always competing if they're trying to get some media attention for a bit of free publicity that it's uh, Cyber Smart Week as they, they call it here um, and I guess globally we often have a sort of October is often sort of the cyber security month. Uh, you know, they use that to get a bit of word out from a cybersecurity perspective. So anyone that's interested in that, you can go to cert.gov.nz slash cybersmart. Uh, and there are some things there that are, that are good for uh, consumers and small businesses in particular to level up on the cybersecurity front. 
Do you want to level up on the cybersecurity front, Jason? <laughs> well, it might pay me to go and have a look at the website. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, at the and, very least. And and look, what they what you know what they are doing is they're trying to they're trying to make their messaging you know somewhat friendly, sort of you know cute graphics and and pictures and and um, you know some some simple uh, messages. So you know, for instance, one of their things is. Um, um, update to full strength, activating auto update for your apps and and devices uh, to dodge security weaknesses. Which, look, it's it's a good message. We need to keep our devices up to date. And if we're using old devices, old software, old operating systems, then uh, then that can that can increase our uh, our risks. So um, keep up the work, uh, Cert. Thanks for what you do. Um, now, if we if we have a little bit of a look of things that are happening from a cybersecurity standpoint, so they're there waving the flag. Something that probably helps them in their messaging this week is the cyber incident that Pinnacle Midlands uh, Health have experienced. And I was on um, Radio New Zealand uh, checkpoint discussing it yesterday, and uh, uh, what was the other one? And and on one of the radio stations uh, discussing it today, FM. And this uh, this incident has has caught a bit of media attention. As I guess the you know the bigger incidents in New Zealand that are local often do, and across the ditch in Australia, we've uh, had Optus with a huge data breach impacting millions and millions of people's uh, data. Uh, Pinnacle Midlands Health Network they represent a whole bunch of GPs, and what's been suggested in media reports is possibly. In the direction of 450,000 uh, patients have had uh, may may have had some of their some of their data um, impacted in this breach, and so I guess the sort of the parallels between the two is these are both entities that have a lot of a lot of public data, and for you and me, I mean, all of us probably have a general practitioner or a GP who stores some data on us. And all of us use a telecommunications uh, company uh, because we're in New Zealand. You know, it's not going to be Optus, uh, but there is that that aspect. These are entities we expect to be able to trust in terms of the data that they have. And I mean, I I don't know about you, but if I if I uh, you know give certain information to the GP, um, then you know I have this this level of expectation that uh, that that data is going to stay. Secure now because I work in this field. There's a there's a little bit of um, oh, paranoia is not quite the right word, but but there's an acceptance that some organisations are going to do a lot better at this than than others. But I think from a general public perspective, and even for those of us that do sort of get involved in security, yourself as a consumer, Jason. I mean, we should be able to actually you know trust organizations i guess I've, you know one way i put it on the radio was well we give our money to a bank to look after and you expect them to look after it and you go and work with a gp you don't expect them to sort of leak you know any private and confidential information they have about you do that i have uh, a lot of concern about that actually um my gp probably four or five years ago um signed up to uh, a some kind of a digital service and for me to access my records I had to then sign up or read you know lengthy terms and conditions and um, 
you know, most of the time with that stuff, I never even read it. Re- yeah, never read it. Because like, they're so long, aren't they? They're so making, long. They're made, it's made so hard for you that you either don't read it or or if you do, it's going to take you a very long time. Anyway, I did decide to have a bit of a read-through there and Good some <laughs> some of the wording in there was a little bit concerning and I found that um, by signing that, certain third parties would have access to this, which really concerned me and I basically declined that offer. So um, essentially, um, I don't get the benefits of instant access to certain records. I have to ring the clinic and then have the nurse uh, maybe give me those over the phone. So and I, even that probably raises some questions, doesn't it? You know, like you ring the GP's clinic, how good a job do they do of verifying that they're actually speaking well, with you or whether it's somebody else calling up asking for your data, right? That's a good question, Paul, yeah. You know, in relation to that information being digitised and stored somewhere by a certain entity, like, yeah, me as a consumer have, you know, quite concerned about that information just being out there somewhere. Who Who is responsible for that? Who's going to make sure it's safe? And then we've got this incident which has just happened and it's like, I feel really bad for these um, individuals out there who uh, have been compromised. It's um, quite concerning. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's not a not a good situation. And yeah, look, I th- you know, think there's, there's probably a number of aspects. What, what we saw from the Optus hack was the government in Australia have got involved and so they've been you know telling consumers they've been giving some direction and guidance to consumers around that uh, but we haven't really seen that level of government involvement in New Zealand where the government steps up and actually play plays a you know plays a part so I think they take it at that sort of government end it gets taken a bit more seriously than it does here in New Zealand I think legislation wise around things like you know privacy breaches they're again taken more seriously in Australia and there's more pain to be felt for you know directors and and their organizations if they uh, end up um, falling foul of a of some sort of a data breach or cyber security incident and so that puts more onus on them to um, you know to really step up and to take these things more seriously obviously in the Optus case uh that you know that hasn't stopped the you know the the breach from actually happening, but what we have seen over there is that Optus have at least sort of stepped up to a level of um, you know agreeing to do certain things like uh, you know there's a scenario whereby let's say it's your passport details or your driver's license details have got leaked, where they will fund actually you getting that uh, you know getting a new uh, identification sort of issued. Uh, in some cases, but then sort of following some of that online, then I was reading that one of the issuing organisations for a driver's licence was like, no, we're not issuing new licences, even if you pay us, you know, unless you can prove that it's being used in a, you know, that the data is being used in a bad way. So, you know, they maybe just don't have the resources to reissue the IDs and so on. So, I mean, it really is quite a can of worms when, uh, you know, when these things happen. And yeah, we're still we're still nowhere near kind of where we should be on this front. I feel yeah, very interesting. Now, 
couple of other things that I guess tie into this sort of broader picture of cybersecurity, data privacy, and this Cyber Smart Week we're having in, in New Zealand as well. Um, I saw that one news on their website have, have uh, run a story around uh, how New Zealand's three telcos are protecting Kiwis from, um, from cyber threats. Uh, and I, you know, I guess that's to, that's um, you know directly in response to what's happened in Australia with uh, with Optus, and of course we have uh, our three main telcos are partners of NZ Tech Podcast. But as as I've always said, the partnership, uh, you know, we appreciate their support and and so on, and the access that we get to their people. But that certainly wouldn't stop me uh, calling any one of them out uh, where appropriate. Um, if I was to sort of analyse the um, information that we uh, that we saw uh, this this week and through that um, that onenews.co.nz website, the summary of that would be that both Vodafone and Spark are two entities that are pretty heavily involved in the cybersecurity space anyway, because they're uh, they're technology service providers, so they've you know they've got varying sort of IT and cybersecurity services that they offer, um, you know, to businesses. So that kind of puts a lot more um, onus on you when you're a cybersecurity provider to make sure you've got your own house in order. Otherwise, if you do get compromised, then you're going to take a much much bigger hit. Uh, if that's that's part of one of your specialties as as a business, um, so that that helps them, and it's an interesting read. You can certainly um, Google the story uh, if you're interested, and um, we'll try and add the the link in to the show notes as well at nztechpodcast.com. Um, but it's titled "How NZ's Top Three Telcos Are Protecting Kiwis from Cyber Threats," um, and then there's info there as well on um, on two degrees. And uh, you know they've they've gone some way as well to educate customers about being cyber smart, as it's re- referred to here. So you know there is there is certainly a focus from um, you know our our three uh, big telcos here in New Zealand on cyber security, but it is such a hard thing even just to educate their clients about because there is just so much noise and we're all so busy and you know we might get some advice from from our telecommunications provider but we kind of there's advice coming from every which direction and and whose advice do you follow and what are the key things to do I think is very hard from a consumer perspective as it is for uh, for those in business and in New Zealand we just have so many small small businesses from you know an individual like yourself Jason as a as an award-winning photographer um, up to you know really big businesses and it's like well you've got other things to do rather than just uh, consuming content and advice and, and trying to address cyber security uh, all day so it's it's you know it really isn't an easy an easy thing for us to you know address as a nation and of course the the challenges and the threats keep changing right I mean how do, do you feel relaxed about cyber security or is it is it, is it something that um, that keeps on your radar? Uh, it's definitely on my radar, you know, just in talking to you now, I'm thinking about people that aren't so tech savvy and, you know, I think about my mum and like friends of her age and older people who this kind of technology is uh, foreign, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the stories I hear that have happened 
to some of these people, you know, it's, it's horrible. You know, it's hard enough for myself, who is reasonably tech-savvy, to keep abreast of things because it is constantly changing. And how do you how do you encourage those people sort of across, you know, across the line? Let's say it's your mum. I mean, you've got other things to catch up with your mum about when you catch up with mum rather than, hey, have you got a password manager? Are you using two-factor authentication on your email and, you know, and this or that? If, that, if that's not your you know, not your job and what you're living and breathing. There's only so much time that you that you might even think about talking about that. Absolutely. But it is actually it is actually quite important that we talk with our families about it, right? Mm, it's like absolutely. because if if those of us that are aware don't, then it is probably just gonna disappear in the noise. Um and often often we're sort of seeing those that are getting scammed are those who are, are less, you know, te- technically adept sometimes yeah just folks that maybe haven't grown up around technology so that puts those that are that are older in a, in a higher risk category in a lot of cases I think there's a, I mean there's a whole lot of aspects to it certainly um, it's it's not it's not all about age because you can have you know people switched on or switched off at any age I think on these things right yeah absolutely yeah now something else that, that caught my attention a couple of media outlets had, had picked it up is this audit that's underway into police use of number plate recognition cameras and w- yeah that I mean this does definitely falls into that um, you know that data privacy uh, category and I guess you know where any organization you know government or, or you know or, or private um, sector, you know, holds kind of critical data. We want to make sure that it's, um, you know, it's being treated appropriately. And um, what we what we've heard from uh, Police Minister um, Chris Hipkins is a full audit uh, of how police are using number plate recognition cameras is uh, taking place. Uh, they have admitted to in their computer systems um, on at least two occasions flagging vehicles as stolen when they were not stolen in order to trigger uh, their surveillance system to track the number plates uh, which you know to to me look you get it you know there, there, there are scenarios under which we will use technology in a maybe a slightly different way than what it was uh, designed for uh, to achieve a particular outcome but when it comes to surveillance and you know whatever you however you want to think about this stuff you know i think we need to be able to have that confidence in police in government as we do with private entities that data is used in in a you know it's, it's transparent it's used in a manner that's appropriate and data that should be private is is kept private you know i mean where, where do these things go if uh, if police are uh, you know, feeling that they can uh, maybe somewhat abuse the system. I mean, it might be for very understandable and you know important purposes, but if it's not in line with the the guidance and how it's expected to be used, then you know where, where does where does that potentially stop? As somebody that works in and you know police that's got some personal interest in where someone is can start looking up and 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 tracking their vehicle and so on right so not not none of that's being suggested but i think it's very good to see that an audit that this has been picked up and an audit's happening how, how do you feel about it uh well it's good to know an audit is happening um i certainly have concerns about the bigger issue of 
this kind of surveillance. Yeah, a bigger issue um, I have concerns around. Um, an instance I've heard about probably about a year ago in America, uh, a story where an officer, a uh, police officer in one of the states there was using their uh, surveillance technology from within the law enforcement yep. basically to stalk a woman. That's a reported case. And um, yeah, just, not just, New Zealand, yeah. but overseas. Yeah. And yeah. that's somebody who within the law enforcement has abused uh, that technology, yeah, and yeah, I mean you got, and obviously there's, you know, once you open up varying levels of surveillance, and I mean it's, it's very very hard because you know I think we've had a lot of crimes that have been, you know, solved in part through say access to, you know, text messages and listening into phone calls and things like that. You know, some of these things are very important, but there's a real you know privacy implications of them. And of course, now some of that stuff's getting much harder because of because of encryption. But yeah, we've got all sorts of new ways of doing doing surveillance, and it's I think you know I think it's a real sort of balancing act as how you decide what's appropriate. You know, and we look to you know places like China and these uh, uh, social scoring or social credit scores and things, and you know relying on technology to decide where you know pick who's someone's doing doing the wrong thing or not we've seen that in china with uh with artificial intelligence one case that was was laughable but then actually you think about it from the perspective of of the victim and it was a case um there was a business leader businesswoman in in china whose image was i think on the back of a bus and the cameras picked up and recognized the the face so they were able to do a, a facial recognition and then because the bus was on the road, then it basically named and shamed her for jaywalking um, because it, it saw this image wow. and it thought, <laughs> and so it put up details about her, you know, publicly as being an offender. And so, the, you know, these things kind of can can go wrong. And you know, just just as we've, we've seen cybersecurity incidents and, and data breaches locally, of course, you know, same things happen. Um, in China and, and other places. So, yeah, as Do we start doing these things, the, the possibilities for them to go go wrong increases. But it's such such a balancing act because we do want a you know a society where criminals get uh, you know get caught, and technology is is part of the success for us as as individuals. We're all using technology to to help in our daily lives. And it's natural that that should happen in business, and and uh, you know, and from a government and a police perspective. But boy, it's it's hard to draw the lines around what are the what are the best and most appropriate ways to uh, uh, to to balance this technology use, particularly as we move into into AI and you know monitoring and watching from an electronic perspective. Absolutely, I I imagine a um, you could probably have a very interesting conversation with some lawyer who specialises in this area Yeah, as a suggestion for a future there podcast. Go. There we go. Yeah, uh, that sounds interesting. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. I guess, you know, my, my main thing, we're coming back to the data privacy piece is, you know, that we all just need to be quite mindful around where we put our data. Most of us probably won't spend the time that you spent with, you know, the, um, the terms and conditions that your GP shared with us. Um, I somewhat rely on... Uh, you know, certainly if it's a major 
software or a vendor uh, that usually there's there's somebody else that will do that and uh, and I'll I'll pick it up online if you know say Adobe were to put something dodgy in their terms and conditions I'm probably going to hear about it but yeah if it's a small local you know GP or a software vendor agreement that's linked to a local uh, GP and it's not global yeah I'm probably not going to hear about it so um, yeah there is some importance in, in having a look at those agreements so it's a smart week um, info there that, that CERT has has online maybe share that with a family member or someone you think that uh, that, that can help have a conversation today and maybe that you know the most topical thing is this this pinnacle midlands um, health scenario i think we need to be we do only have so much time to spend with family members on things but uh you know this is an area we should be we should be discussing so um hopefully that's something everyone could do now also on a local note um not uh, not so much down the cyber smart and cyber security um, it's more on the entertainment track. We've uh, we've had news about Sky TV. They've got uh, got a deal for uh, for streaming rugby through to 2029. Uh, Men's and women's rugby World Cup, uh, rugby sevens, and and so on. Um, so an exclusive rights through uh, World Rugby. Um, alongside that, they've cut a deal to sell off Rugby Pass that they acquired about. Th- about three years ago. Now, Rugby Pass, the media coverage I saw at the time, and certainly not something I was going to use because it wasn't targeted at New Zealanders in, in general. I mean, some of the content was, but their streaming of rugby games wasn't targeted at, at New Zealand. And that was really what I saw it as, as a, a streaming service for those outside of New Zealand who wanted to stream rugby. Interesting, most of the coverage I've seen over the, over the last um, day or two about it talks about rugby pass more as a content source for rugby news now that's not the sort of news that I go in for but I know there are a lot of Kiwis that uh, that follow that Um, but I just thought that was interesting that when it was announced um, you know three years ago it was really about streaming most of the media coverage is more about it being a, a, a news source and it's been bought by World Rugby. But I do believe that the streaming part of it is, I mean, is very much an important component of it and allow, allows, I mean, certainly from a Kiwi perspective, if you're overseas and you want to watch a, you know, a key game, uh, then that's the sort of thing you can stream and you know, there's a whole lot of countries that's covered for. Now, the reason I guess this caught my attention is this whole... Uh, change in how we consume content and I know Jason you know you 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 know certainly stream content through a range of services and you've you've put me on to uh, streaming services and and you know content uh, in the past on on numerous uh, occasions in fact I'm trying to remember the site you put me on to that has uh, a lot of documentaries on it sort of a reasonably low cost subscription service anyway it might come to one of us before we finish chatting um, but yeah, you're very good at kind of keeping a, a, a watch on uh, you know where where to get uh, where to get good content. But if we roll back sort of a, f- a few a few years to the yeah, I guess the very beginning of NZ Tech Podcast, it wasn't that long ago that if you wanted sort of premium content in New Zealand, Sky was your one place to go to. And then we covered very very early on with with the show, you know Netflix uh, growing or launching and becoming popular in, in US and varying other streaming services. Of course, most of those are, are available in New Zealand now, and the whole picture really has has changed uh, with Disney Plus and Netflix and so on. And and so, 
it's gone from that pay one fee, which everybody used to begrudge the fees of Sky. But if you actually stack up and you want to subscribe to everything these days, it probably actually costs you a lot more. And with World Rugby buying Rugby Pass, I think you can imagine a scenario that might be you know, somewhat like what F1 is today, Formula One, where there is kind of, you know, basically the, the governing organisation or governing body like World Rugby, basic or World Rugby for Rugby, might actually be the one source that you go to for that particular um, sport. And I don't know. There's, there's, um, yeah, it's going to be some interesting times in terms of how that plays out. But I think of it from a rugby perspective. Who's going to get exposed to rugby other than those who are already into into rugby? If you can only get it through that one channel, um, Formula One is interesting in that you can buy it direct from the F1 you know F1 TV subscription and that's available you know covers a lot of countries or you can buy it through Spark Sports so there's sort of that dual channel so maybe that will become kind of the norm over the next few years but of course we're we're much more split in New Zealand now with sport because we've got Spark Sport uh, and we've got uh, Sky as our sort of two main sources but in the future that could that could well all split out and be very splintered how do you, how do you feel about this sort of splintered world of of streaming? Do you think we're we're better off or or worse off than um, than what we were sort of you know a decade or so back? Personally, I mean, on, on one hand, you know, so much choice, which is fantastic. Curiosity but, Stream, that was the one you put me thank onto. You Paul, now. that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good okay. place for Doco. Sorry, back to um, back to you. Yeah, so much more choice now. Uh, on one hand, which is fantastic, but the flip side, and this is a thing I'm constantly coming up against, and there's got to be some kind of psychological term for this, just overwhelmed with choices that sometimes I just I just turn it all off and listen to music, Yeah, um, yeah. which I am actually increasingly enjoying more and more. Um, so actually switching off all the streaming stuff and just going back to the simple enjoy music. Yeah, it's not a bad move, and I mean, in fact, I think I mentioned in an episode recently. You know, I cancelled my Netflix subscription, and I'll probably now be more sort of turn things on, on and off, month month by month. Now, let's hope these streaming services don't start locking us in, and you can only subscribe to uh, annual things. But yeah, that's kind of the way you turn on a bit of Disney this month when they've got something you want to watch, and um, you know, so on. So I guess yeah, it's something that 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 you can sort of balance balance out a little bit according to your you know according to your budget and if you've got a little bit of patience. If you want everything all the time, uh, mm. then yeah, it can probably probably stack up a lot, can't it? Yeah, there's also um, I don't know if your listeners are aware through some of our public libraries um, in Auckland, Beamer Film, uh, the amount of films and documentaries and I think even TV series. Through that, which is all free, part of your library dis- library membership. Yeah, yeah, yeah which no, is great. that's a good point, and that's part of what we're paying council rates for, right? Canopy, is access to that. Yeah, canopy, and um, I think that's a Christchurch Public Library. That's slightly different. You know, these are different things where you you know there's still a great amount of content there. Yep, um, works very similar to the likes of Netflix. Perhaps not um, as much choice, but um, mm. some really good local content for mm. sure. And look, you pick and choose and filter stuff yourself, but you know, there are a lot of other sort of sources for content. Um, you know, YouTube probably being the, the biggest place, but you know, there's a huge amount of individuals creating, you know, content down particular tracks. I'm, and uh, you know, like if you've got a particular interest area, 
you're you know that that's kind of you know any sort of any sort of niche let's say you're interested in electric cars tesla you will find there are all sorts of folks i don't know how many that are producing content down those tracks that you won't find on any any sort of you know paid probably any paid for platforming some of these then you've got an extra cost if you want to sign up to their patreon or you know um support them and so on but uh there's just yeah so much content so that's i guess the drawback to back to the music because just overload of so much content isn't there absolutely but um, one of the things i've been um not not certainly not a new thing but i i'm really blown away by the content available through the likes of YouTube producers who basically in the beginning of lockdown, um, I decided I was going to learn how to garden. Yeah, yeah. So um, lockdown had happened. I can't go through the library. I, you know, there's no work, local workshops. So I'm like, I turned to YouTube to try and figure out what I'm going to do. I came across this guy called Charles Dowding. He's an English man. He does a style called no dig. No dig gardening, which is really great for lazy people who don't like pulling weeds. <laughs> yep. And he is this this is this particular guy, he'd probably be maybe late fifties, early sixties, just a natural teacher and he's just got so much stuff out there and it like watching the stuff, um, I'm learning learning the stuff, but I'm thinking about camera angles and the audio recording and then editing and uploading and like I'm, I'm realizing as a content creator this person has spent a heck of a lot of time making this yeah and maybe with the likes of Charles Dowding he, he has a number of followers now and financially he can make this work I think he's a natural teacher and so he would do this regardless yeah but there's yeah. other people out there who you know they don't have a high percentage of followers but they do this anyway yeah, just because great content. They love sharing, yeah, yeah and yeah. and helping people learn, and you know I, that amazes me. It just blows me away. There's really kind people out there who they're, they're coming from it, uh, maybe not so much from a financial perspective, but just trying to help out another human being. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's cool. Their, it's their it's their passion, and they're willing to they're willing to give the time. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now that brings us to as a good segue into. Um, been reading about YouTube testing restricting 4K videos to YouTube premium accounts, and so I mean, YouTube has has gone from yeah you know, the service that you know I guess in its early days was was I mean it didn't seem to stay niche for too long. It's you know it's been something that that you know, technology users have, have have heavily used, but this sort of caught me. It caught me a little bit off guard, I've got to say. I mean, it feels as though YouTube massively monetizes their, you know, their content. You can pay for your premium subscription and do away with the ads and get access to downloading content and so on. And I'm I'm on YouTube Premium at the at the moment, but you know, I'm not always on it. And I guess by pushing something like this, this is a way for them just to up the percentage of people that are gonna that are going to pay but it also just doesn't sort of gel in a way with me of you know yes I know they've got to make money there's a there's a there's a business and shareholders and so on um, but it just doesn't seem to gel with how YouTube started out and its foundations and I don't know just I just feel a, a, a little bit of displeasure if they go down this track now they're testing it 
doesn't uh, guarantee that they're necessarily going to stay that way. Um, how do you feel about it? Is it is that uh, is that okay? Does it bother you? I mean, probably most stuff I I stream, I'm not streaming in 4K anyway. But over time, that will become will become the norm for everything. Everything we stream will will be uh, you know probably 4K. Yeah, I have always resisted the um, the YouTube premium ads that come up. I just uh, skip. Uh, so I'd be interested to hear from you, like your experience with that and like costs. I, I don't even know what it costs to um, to subscribe. So what, what's been your experience with YouTube Premium? Yeah, I mean, I've gone on and off it probably at least a couple of times. Uh, I think it's 16, uh, was 16, maybe it's 18 New Zealand dollars wow. um, a month now. I need to check what the what the current um, amount is. I follow it closely. What are we What are we seeing here? Um, I'll try and check. And is it actually giving me the current uh, prices in New Zealand or or US uh, dollars? But yeah, it all it certainly adds up uh, adds up pretty quickly. So the top response that comes up in Google's search engine is a blog post that they did four and a half years ago. So I don't I don't know if it's uh, if it's entirely current, but it's covering off the yeah, YouTube Premium fifteen dollars ninety nine. Uh, giving you ad-free music, listen in the background to music, uh, downloading music videos, uh, ad-free video, playing videos in the background, downloads, and um, access to all YouTube uh, originals, of which I, I don't even know what, what, what those are. I can't think of any YouTube right. originals that I, I watch. I can think of being on Netflix and seeing Netflix originals. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, the getting rid of the ads would be fantastic. I've noticed um, over the last few years the where it would go from one or two ads at the beginning of a, of a piece to now, you know, several ads playing throughout, and that is really frustrating. Um, I was talking to a friend in Dunedin the other day who now will when those ads come on, he just like he's out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it'd be interesting to know you know youtube will have all of these statistics um are they and and they'll be playing with the algorithms i'm i'm sure but how many people are they losing as a result of some of these ad placements and the uh the yeah amount? it'll be it'll be really interesting and and you know how useful how useful are the ads for you know for advertisers um what what i notice is on the tv at home and uh, you know, not just the TV, other devices. Um, the youngster in the home is the biggest consumer of YouTube, and so the ads coming up there, you know, are advertisers paying money to advertise to eight-year-olds and eleven-year-olds and thirteen-year-olds who might not be so influenced uh, on, you know, they don't have the same uh, income to spend, <laughs> fortunately. As uh, as their parents and so on. Um, I mean, and obviously we've got to be cautious about how you influence youngsters as well. Um, but you know, are there, are there is there advertising that advertisers sort of are hoping, assuming goes to grown-ups um, who are going to make buying decisions, but actually going to going to youngsters? And yeah, you know, obviously there, there's a you know whole level of there's an ability to. Uh, uh, you know, to track these things, uh, you know, from an advertising standpoint, but certainly, YouTube would have the best data on that. And um, yeah, I think there, there, there certainly is. You know, 
an extreme level of advertising now on YouTube compared to compared to what it what it used to be, and I would imagine that there are probably a bunch of people that would go to other platforms both from a uh, content creator perspective and also content you know consumption perspective uh, if there was if there was something else. Um, so do we presume that? Uh, YouTube have kind of got the model about right, you know, because others have tried to compete, and there there really ha- hasn't hasn't been an area that seems to have, uh, uh, you know, led to a whole lot. But you know, maybe that's something we'll see in the future. We've heard about the the free version of uh, of Netflix or a lower cost version with ads in it. Um, so there are some sort of possibilities for some for some competition here, but uh, really easier easier said than done. Well, uh, that sort of brings us to uh, to the end. So we've got some um, interesting times ahead when it comes to cybersecurity. So just a, a reminder to uh, go and have a look at the, the CyberSmart uh, website this week for CyberSmart uh, Week. And uh, if you can do something to educate uh, somebody who's um, less up with the play on uh, cybersecurity and data privacy things uh, this week, then... Uh, uh, that would be a good thing to do. So we're all uh, all playing our part. Thank you, Jason, for joining me. No worries, Paul. It was good to be here again. Thank yeah, you. Good to catch up. And um, look, thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, really uh, good good to have you here. No video stream this week. If you were you were looking uh, for that, as I'm uh, as I'm on the, on the road, uh, but we will probably be back again with a video stream next week for the episode, the big episode 600 uh, of NZ Tech Podcast next, next week. Uh, I think we've got Brett Roberts uh, joining us, so that should be uh, should be good. Uh, and a thank you again to our, uh, our show partners for keeping us uh, rolling and uh, keeping NZ uh, Tech Podcast supported and, uh, and coming to you. Thank you to... Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Uh, yeah, we'll look forward to catching up with you all again next week. All right, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.